I think we have a few families vacationing. Lots of these empty spots all over the place. Well, good morning. So I was driving up the uh, driveway this morning to church. I just was getting excited about worshiping with you this morning. And, and I always enjoy our time of, of exaltation and uh, look forward to it every Sunday. <clears throat> and I, on the way here, I was just thinking, you know, wh- when do you have opportunities where people just break out in song? You know, when you uh, when I go to Walmart, people don't just break out in song or when I stop at a traffic light. At least I haven't heard that uh, recently. But you stop at traffic light. People don't look at each other and just break out in song. And, um, you know, at the workplace or at school. But when we come here, we just gather and we break out in song because of the living God in our hearts. And we desire to uh, to exalt him and sing to him. And it's it's a great joy to be able to do that this morning with you. Also, um, just draw your attention and re- as a reminder that truths from the royal treasury are in our bulletin. And I truly believe that the Lord gave us these verses to minister to us. And this morning's is Psalm 34, 18 through 20. Out of curiosity, is the person who offered that truth here this morning? No? Okay. But I just want to draw your attention to that. Encourage you to read it. Take it home with you. For the week. Well, we are in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, which is essentially the Christmas story. We're not used to reading these words when it's you know, in the 90s. And uh, in July, usually we're reading these words and we anticipate Christmas presents and all the trimmings. So this is kind of a Christmas in July without the presents message. But um, last week we looked and we we considered the realization of the virgin birth of Christ, which reveals his deity. And it's just one important truth of many that are a conglomeration of facts and records and witnesses and testimonies that Jesus is the son of God. And the virgin birth gives an, a reason or an account for the miraculous life that he lived. Somebody once asked a Christian. So if I were to tell you that over there in that hospital in the city, that there was a child born that has no father, you'd believe me. And he said, if that child lived the kind of life that Jesus lived, yes, I would believe you. And so the deity, the the royal birth, the virgin birth is an important aspect of the life of Christ. Today we read the same passage but we switch gears a little bit from the royal birth to a royal name. We just sang about that royal name. I can't remember the lyrics. I had them in my head before I stood up here, but the chorus to that song uh, at the name every knee will bow at at the sound of your great name is what it says. So we're going to talk about the name of Christ. Let's read 18 through 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. It's been said when God shows up in your life, things are going to change. God brings change. This is certainly the case for Mary and Joseph. Very likely a poor young people. Probably very humble, uh, lowly, of lowly means, but yet they had great faith and had placed their hands and their lives into, placed their lives into the hands of God. Uh, Mary was told that she was a favored one and she would be the mother of the Son of God. Joseph more or less had to make a choice. He wasn't so sure what he thought about marrying her under the circumstances of an unwed mother that was pregnant, but he overcame his fear and he did as the angel challenged him to do. And that is he woke from his dream and he took Mary as his wife and her shame became his shame. And he laid down his earthly public reputation as a righteous man to obey the Lord and to please the Lord. But that's not the only thing that he was asked to lay down. And Matthew draws this out in specifically verses 21 and verse 25. Verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then verse 25 closes with, and he called his name Jesus. So what's the drama all about in this aspect? Well, the drama is about the name, something that we are familiar with in the Christmas story. We read it many times, but we don't all always stop and think about this aspect of the Christmas story dealing with the name. The angel, in essence, tells Joseph that he does not get to name this son that God has entrusted to him because this son comes with a name already. Uh, a name has already been assigned to him, and that is the great name. It is the name of Jesus. Jesus. Right. This morning, we're going to think about what this means to Joseph and then close by thinking about what it means to us that God names name Jesus and God often gives names. What is the significance of that? Well, first of all, giving a name. In our culture, who gets to decide what the child's name is going to be? The, the parents or the mother or the father. But if you have parents, the parents are the ones that get to decide what their child's name is going to be. We don't get to decide that. We're not born that, that yet. Uh, so the, the parents think about it, mull over names. For different reasons, they assign that name to you. The doctors are waiting for you to to give the name so that they can write it down on that 
birth certificate and it becomes official and it becomes legal. And that is your identity for the rest of your life unless you decide that you're going to go to the courts and have your name changed. That has to be done in a legal capacity other than nicknames that may be assigned to you. So that name that is on your birth certificate is going to be the same name that you're going to have to put on your license to make it legal. It'll be the same name that you would put on any credit cards, any bank accounts that you have. When you get married, they're going to ask for your official names to make it all legal on your passport. And if you're quirky, it'll be on your Dale Earnhardt lunchbox so that everybody knows that that is your identity. Everything that is important requires your name. That's a sign to you that has been given to you. So people might have their opinion. You can ask people about what what should I call this child or what should I call this baby? And they may get upset if you don't take their advice and all that kind of stuff. But it is the parents ultimately that are given that responsibility. And therefore they get the praise if it's a good name and people like it. And they get the blame if it's a bad name and people say, oh, who named you? What were they thinking when they gave you that name? Well, Kind of similar in the Bible, but primarily in the Bible, the father has the right to name his children or to name his son. Of course, he'll collaborate, I'm sure, with his wife um, as far as what goes into that. And maybe even some of the older siblings if they're around. But the um, the father has the right. So. By all intents and purposes in this little scenario, this drama that we have, we're looking into through the eyes of Matthew's gospel, this family drama. Now, now that Joseph has decided to take Mary as his wife, they are going to be a family unit. And so he probably feels upon his shoulders the responsibility to name this child because that's what fathers Dude, the angel comes and visits, visits him in this dream and basically says, that's not going to happen. You don't have to think about that. It's not your burden. It's not your responsibility. As a matter of fact, you are not allowed, whatever name you may be thinking, you are not allowed to assign that to this boy because the name has already been assigned. So God takes away this Earthly right. He takes away this earthly right from Joseph to name the son that God has entrusted to him to serve as a father. To make it clear that God alone can give this name. We dig a little bit deeper. Uh, As you know, names in scripture are a big deal. I think names in our society, some are a big deal. I think we look at them a little differently. We have a more complex way of looking at names. But in in the Bible, names carried tremendous significance. Uh, Today, there's no telling what parents are going to name you because there's just so many different things that go into it. You could be named after a family member. You could pull names from lots of different family members or relatives. You could be named after a celebrity. You could be named after a popular name out of a soap opera. There's just a a lot of different things. You could be given a name just because your parents liked the way it sounded. They didn't care what it meant. Just it just has this neat ring to it. 
You might be given a name because it rhymes with the name that your older sibling was given, has the same kind of ending. There's just all these different thought processes that go into names. It could be a biblical name. My name is a biblical name. My parents assigned all of their children biblical names. So kind of anything goes. I used to have a friend, his name was Stan, his last name was Still, and so whenever the teacher called his name, I just stopped what I was doing right there, Stan Still. Or there was another guy, his name was Justin, he was a good friend to have, his, Justin, his last name was uh, Case, just in case you need a friend to, to be along. Of course, I can't remember my shoot, shooting buddy, Rick, my Irish buddy, Rick O'Shea. You had to be careful when you were shooting with him. That's terrible, isn't it? I better, I better close that little segment with uh, my, my good friend Joe King. Because I'm just joking about all those names that I just told you. Uh, names are no laughing matter. Unless, of course, you're Isaac. Unless, of course, you're Isaac. Whose mother named him Laughter because Sarah was so incredibly... Beyond the years of childbirth, that when the angel just came and said, this time next year, I mean, she's nearly a, a centurion, next, this time cent, centenarian, this time next year, you'll have child me. What do you do but laugh when you're, when you're at that age? Um, so anyway, the father had the name cry. <laughs> well, I guess you could cry and you could laugh. What, what would be your choice? But um, hopefully laughter. Whatever, God. You're in this. So the father had a right to name his son. So what, what does this really mean? It means that he's been given the uh, authority to do that. One of the first acts of authority that parents um, possess or enact before their children are even born is by assigning them a name. That's your privilege. That's your honor. Your authority. It's one of the very first acts and um, so parents put a lot of most parents put a lot of thought into that I know we did and you search the baby book names you know baby name books and all that stuff and you because you're thinking deeply about what do you want to assign to this child because you know that's probably going to be the name that they carry for the rest of their lives and well, what do I want it to mean for them and how do I want it to sound and what do I want people to think when they hear this person's name or when I present my newborn baby to the world. So it's, it's a big deal. It's a lot of responsibility. It's a great honor and it is a great privilege. But God names Jesus for Joseph to give the message that he is the authority. He's the one in charge. Now, in Genesis... One of the ways that Adam took dominion was and asserted his authority was by naming the animals. You, I want you to take charge, Adam, and I want you to give these little critters names. And so it was a way for him to assert that authority. Even in our culture and in ancient times, if one king defeated another, a lot of times they would rename you. As an act of dominance. Um, it's even in the scripture. Kings get renamed. Or they come in and they dominate or conquer this territory. And they rename this city after themselves or 
one of their acts. It's just this idea of authority and dominance. I'm over you. It's a superiority. So a parent was granted the authority over their children. They had a responsibility to care for them. God does not allow this because uh, Jesus is not only of the earth. It's not just an earthly family. Jesus is also divine. So God gives him this name. It changes things. And he wants the very from the very beginning, Joseph and Mary to recognize this. Who's ultimately in charge? You've been entrusted with a certain responsibility, but you're not over the son that I am entrusting to you. Think about the challenge that Mary and Joseph were given as parents because they have parental rights and parental authority. And they're the ones that clothe him, um, feed him, decide times, bedtimes, even uh, curfews, who they can who he can hang out with. All of the decisions that parents make for their children to keep them safe and to govern them and manage them in the way. And yet the same child that they're they're um, issuing family rules to. Is the child that they are to worship. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords who can have authority over the king and kings and the lords of lords. No one on this earth is fit To give him a name because that source can only come from the highest authority. And that would be God. The other aspect of giving a name isn't just about the authority involved, but it's also the content or the meaning of the name. The big idea uh, is in in that idea or, or in that culture and even in ours is that when you're given a name, it often leads you to your purpose or perhaps the significance of why that person gave you your name. Maybe their hopes, their aspirations for you, their dreams for you, their prayers for you. And in a lot of cases, it kind of helps show you who you are, what you're supposed to do with your life. Now, the name Joseph is a fine name and it means may the Lord increase or may God add. And that certainly would fit into Jesus's ministry because Jesus certainly increased the blessings of God. But Matthew says you shall call his name Jesus. And why would that particular name be given? He tells us why. He will save his people from his sins. The name Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means the Lord saves. God saves. So this is a name that is assigned to this child That defines him. It defines his work, his meaning, his purpose, and why he came into the world at all. We often get confused about Jesus' names or God's names because there's so many of them. And we scratch our heads. So you have the wonderful counselor, you have the the Lamb of God. Um, Even in this passage, you have, and his name shall be Emmanuel. But many of those are just titles. Sometimes we have titles that we ascribe to our name or may sign our name or display. But our working name, our functional name is different. It's not what people call us. This is his working functional name, Jesus. That's what he was known by. He came to rescue. He came 
to save. And the Bible gives us the impression that Jesus absolutely knew this about himself. He knew his mission. He knew his purpose. He understood the significance of his name. And so he went about from town to town preaching the gospel with a message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So he understood that there were lost souls that needed to be saved. And so he's coming and he's he's sharing the truth with whoever will hear him. Here's the truth. You stand in judgment if you are not right with God and the kingdom of this God is here. You need to get your heart right. You need to to think about your life and think about the true existence of God and see where they line up. Are you living as the king desires you to live? Because judgment is at hand. That's his method for bringing salvation to the world through the preached word at that point in his ministry. And he didn't allow himself to get distracted. I mean, you think about the life of Jesus. There's so many different things that you could do. And yet he just stuck to the course. He resisted certain sidetracks and temptations. He always brought things right back around to the gospel and the salvation message because he was clear about who he was. He didn't have an an identity crisis. Some people say, yeah, but in the Garden of Gethsemane, he wasn't so sure about his mission and his purpose. That wasn't an identity crisis. The reason he said, Lord, could this cap cut be passed for me is because he understood who he was. He understood what he faced and the reality of that. And he never wavered from it. He's serving with his life the one who named him. That's his work. So this leads us to the second point, which in essence is an application of the idea of the authority and the content of naming. That's carrying the name. How do you carry a name? What do you do with a name? And here's how we apply this passage. I really appreciate Timothy Keller's words when he says the real thing that comes out of this passage is stop asking who am I and start asking whose am I? That answers the question, who am I? Look at yourself. Ask yourself, first of all, who names you? And secondly, what is your highest priority in life? So authority and content. When you ask those two questions, you'll have an idea about your identity. Until you can answer those questions or right, you'll never know who you are. You know, back in the day, it was largely your parents named you but society also played a part in that they society labels people so if you were born on this side of the tracks there were expectations about the kind of person you would be and the kind of life you would lead and it's really hard to escape that label or that assignment to your character and your person if you're born on this side of tracks so for instance you know, you carry the last name of Vanderbilt or Rockefeller. What's going to come to people's mind when they, they, they hear that? There's certain expectations of the kind of person you are, the decisions you're going to make, the kind of life you're going to live, because that is a life of wealth. And so there's this identity attached to it. If, you, if you're a Hatfield, you had to feud with the McCoys because that's just what you did when you were born into that family. Today, it's a little different. There's there's a resistance against that. Today, it's all about self-discovery. How many times have you read those words in your lifetime? Self-discovery. 
And the big push now is that absolutely we don't want society labeling us. We want to decide who we are or what we're going to be. Because being labeled is, can be a, a terrible thing. So don't let society let you label you. Be your own authority. Name yourself. Decide what you want to be. It's all up to you. And then just be it. Modern day ultimate application of that is what we face uh, with transgenderism. So now we have people that are deciding who and what they want to be, what their identity is. Ultimately, I think that people are lost and are searching for identity because of this question. Rather than trying to ask, who am I? Whose am I? When we, when we ask the question, whose am I? We don't get so lost by trying to figure things out on our own, trying to weigh through all these emotions and feelings that are gushing out of our own minds and hearts because they can really lead us astray. And there's a lot of confusion in there by nature. There needs to be this authority and this guiding, ruling principle that keeps us in check, that keeps us on the path where we were intended to be. And that's the idea behind it. The funny thing about avoiding society being labeled by society or, say, avoiding letting society label us and being our own person is that if we want to be, we want society to look at us in a certain way, then we have to act a certain way, hang out with a certain kind of people and do certain things. But in essence, what we've done is we've allowed society to label us because we want them to look at us in a certain way. We want their approval. So if I want to be known as a great achiever, I want you to be impressed with certain things I do. Or I want my name out there. If I want to be known or labeled, identified with somebody who's very wealthy, then I want to hang out with wealthy people. I want to have a lot of money and do the kind of showy things that wealthy people do with their money. The problem is, if you, you've gained that, you've worked hard to gain that identity, what happens when you lose it? You are lost. You're, you're depressed if you lose your job when that's what your, your identity, you work so hard to get. You lose your money. You work so hard to get that, that identity. You're depressed. You're lost. You go into this deep time of soul searching. Who am I? Why am I here? Because in essence, trying to escape labels, you have allowed labels. So the point of all that is the real problem with naming ourselves is that no matter what approach we take, is that whatever names us, rules us. Whatever names us, it, it's our, it becomes our authority. It becomes our superior. We answer to it. Our ruler. This can happen in, in good things too. If we define ourselves by our relationships, our, our relationships rule over us because that's so important. We care about our relationships than what we're allowing this group of people to rule over us. We want to do things to be in good standing with them. It can be true of motherhood, fatherhood, marriage. They can rule over us, drive us. That's where we're the most happy. But if we lose them, we are the most sad because our whole identity was wrapped up in that one thing. Life is bigger than that. Great example in this story. 
You think about Joseph and his reputation. Now, to, to be labeled by society as a righteous man, especially for a Jewish person, that's not an easy thing. You've got to work really, really hard at, well, in today's society too, at being labeled with a reputation of being a man of integrity, a person of integrity. Very righteous. It means that you've done all the right things, all that the law requires of you in the eyes of men. They see you as being on top of the game. And Joseph, with the right motive to honor the Lord, really strived to live a righteous life. And he has this reputation in the eyes of society. It's a good label to have. And here the angel in this Christmas story basically God is asking him to risk that and to compromise that. That label that he worked so hard to get. Because to take this soiled woman as his wife means her shame becomes his shame. The beautiful difference between Joseph and the Pharisees is that Joseph was willing to lay down that beautiful Reputation that he had gained, at least in the eyes of man. He was ready to put that to death in order to please the living God. That label. Now he is labeled and, and society doesn't even know it yet because the story hadn't been written. Now in his heart, he's really labeled as the obedient servant. He's labeled as one who wants to please God and willing to risk The Pharisees, they would do anything to maintain this label of righteousness, of looking good in the eyes of man. They would not compromise. As a matter of fact, they would break the law so that they could look good and righteous in the eyes of man. They went overboard to let you know so that you could be sure to know how righteous they are and how well they obey The law of God. But they were not willing to compromise their reward of the that the society assigned to them. They were not willing to die to that part of their self to actually really follow God and serve God. That's why Jesus said, you've received your reward. All the praise that you were hoping to get, you got it. That's it. It's over. Whereas Joseph's reward was still to come. The Pharisees were literally ruled by what they wanted to be named for earthly sake. If who names us and whose we are is that important, something has to die if it's going to change. So as the Pharisees think, man, I'm I'm really finding myself. I really have this reputation that I've worked so hard to get. They were really dying inside. They weren't gaining life. Jesus tried to point that out to them. Jesus tells his disciples, if you lose your life in essence, that's when you find it. Something has to die. There are things in us that have to die in order for us to find God, in order for us to find our true meaning and significance. Some say, I'm going to be a great father, or I'm going to be a great mother, I'm going to be a great pastor. Then something goes wrong. We sink all our identity, all our aspirations in it. Something goes wrong. Our perfect kids rebel. 
We're crushed. We don't know what to do with life. We lose our place or the church splits or some calamity happens, something terrible. And the pastor doesn't know what to do because all of the identity was wrapped up in that particular thing that they want or we want the world to know us as. So the Bible teaches that whoever names us is our authority. In essence, it's the one to whom we belong. It's just, if you just think about your life, whoever names you or you desire to be labeled, that is your authority. In order, therefore, to know whose we are, we have to ask who names us. Who named me, really, ultimately? Who, whose am I? What authority is over me? And the angel says, to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus knew his identity. He knew what he was living for. So all his priorities went into that. His commitments, the decisions that he made about life all revolved around this work that God had assigned him. So we want to ask ourselves the questions as we begin to apply this. What are our greatest priorities what commitments do we have on our calendars? What goals do we have that are giving us our identity, that are assigning to us a reputation? Keller goes on to say, if you live for your own happiness, if you live for your own comfort, you'll never know who you are because with one crowd, you'll be one way with another crowd, another way. So you're not really sure who you want to be. You want to please certain people at certain times with the church crowd. You'll say you're one way. And then with the business crowd, you're another way. The only way that you can really find yourself and is to find yourself in the person that names you find yourself, of course, ultimately in God, in Christ. So if God is the one who names us. If God is the one to whom we belong, whom we live, then we will know who we are. The self needs something higher to define itself. Look, just look at what the decisions that men are making today, mankind. We don't do a very good job at defining ourselves. When we're left to ourselves and our own thoughts and our own hearts and desires and aspirations, we can really mess things up. And we are witnessing the epitome of lostness and darkness in our culture. And that's that's what we are without God and without the knowledge of God. We cut ourselves short if we don't acknowledge our creator. You know, Proverbs, we learn in Proverbs, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. How can you know anything? How can you gain any true wisdom if we will not acknowledge he who brought us into being, who has beautiful meaning and significance in absolutely every molecule that he created. If we don't acknowledge that, then we are dust in the wind. So how do we get there? Well, we let God name us. You know, throughout the Bible, man is trying to name God, right? Isn't that what we do? Kind of the idolatry thing. We want to name God. We want God to be what we think he ought to be to us. 
And if he's up there and he's got powers, I got a certain way. I got a list of way I want you to use your powers for my behalf. We want to name God, try to make him in our image. God, in essence, says you can't name me. You can't make me. I make you. That's the whole relationship. It's the foundation for a relationship of salvation. It's acknowledging that kind of lordship. So what is our last name? Well, as Christians, you know, it would be neat if we were literally every believer was assigned by God a specific name to to really nail down that meaning and significance. We have more of a generic sense in Scripture. But what we do know is when you become a child of God, that you are in the family of God and you bear his name or many names in that sense. Just like we bear the name of our earthly father. To all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 1.12. So our identity is wrapped up in God as our father and we are the family of God. We are our children. That tells us, I guess you could say kind of from the house of L, from the house of L to use a Lord of the Rings term. Elohim, El Shaddai, El Roy. I'm from that household because God is my father. Until we say Jesus is my savior, he's the one who gives me validation. He's the one that makes me acceptable before God. Then we will remain lost. Jesus came to save us. Our Father helps us understand that in a practical sense. Just think about our lives. We are born with certain gifts and talents. Everybody in here has thinks different ways and has natural gifts and talents for a reason. Because they have been given to you by God. Then when you're born again, you have spiritual gifts. We all have different spiritual gifts because our father has specific tasks for us to do. And these gifts help define us. It's God saying here, I gave you this because this is how I want you to function in my kingdom. I gave you this because this is what I want you to use in the world to bless it. And all of these things are God helping us define our place and our purpose in the kingdom. There are situations like um, God changed Sarai's name to Sarah and Abram's name to Abraham. And um, Peter's, Simon's name to Peter and Saul's name to Paul. And if you think about those assignments, it's God saying, here's what your life is about. It's like a ministry assignment. Here's how I'm going to use you. Here's what I want you to do with your life. Here's my label for you. It defines you. But when serving him becomes the most important thing in our lives, that's when we really find ourselves. That's when we really know it falls into place. And it comes by letting him name us. It comes by being willing to die to personal aspirations and reputations and things that we want to be known by. And being content to please our Heavenly Father. So I implore you this morning to reach out to your Savior. He has come to save that which is lost. If our souls are wandering, if we're not sure, if we're losing our identity, believer or not, be refreshed. 
And I think as we close this passage, one thing we're going to find in Matthew are these kind of invitations to just come into the family of God and rest and be loved and be accepted on the basis of Christ. God gives us all the things that, as Corky prayed before the message, all the longings of the heart and soul can only be found in God. The deepest vein. We try to settle for the surface things that, that maybe tickle our fancy a little bit. But it, when you go deeper, it's only satisfied with Christ. And so there's these invitations constantly in the gospel of Matthew. If you're wandering, if you're lost, if you're confused, I have great compassion on you. And I want you to come in and find your rest. Come in and find your identity. Find the love of a father that perhaps you've never had. Find what it's like to just know. Discover the abilities and the gifts that I've given you for you to work out your salvation. It's just this beautiful, wonderful plan. This oasis that we can have in our salvation of Christ. Feel the Father's love. This morning, as we consider the gospel of Matthew, and may God bless the preaching of his word. Amen.